The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Ken Adams of Impact Ministries led a track called The Making of a Disciple Making Church. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. Now here's today's track session. Well, good afternoon. Uh, Let me take a moment and uh, I'll just quickly introduce uh, myself Uh, My name is Glenn Underhill, and uh, I have the privilege of uh, being the executive pastor at Crossroads uh, Church. And uh, Ken and I have known each other for a long time, uh, about 12 years. We were uh, actually introduced through a mutual friend by the name of Dan Spader. Some of you may know Dan from Sun Life. Uh, Both uh, Ken and I were very, uh, very... um, challenged and moved through the Sun Life ministry, and so he actually connected the two of us together. Uh, I actually, uh, if uh, you, I actually worked with another pastor that you actually may have been in one of his breakouts, Craig Etheridge with uh, Disciple First, was uh, with Craig for about 18 years uh, and worked as we transitioned several churches through a disciple-making strategy, and uh, and then I've been with, uh, with Ken for a uh, little, almost, almost two years together. So uh, we've been super, super happy. Uh, I, I am in by no means an expert. Uh, I want to be very clear on that. Uh, I, I would say all three of us would very much communicate. We're not experts. Uh, we're just practitioners uh, who are learners and really trying to just say uh, every day, Lord, what, how can we reflect your character and your conduct today? And how can we learn to be better disciple makers and reflect your heart in this area of disciple making? Uh, I'm, I'm very much like each and every one of you here. I, I am a dad of four kids. Uh, I have a high school senior that's getting ready to, uh, to launch. And so <clears throat> we're, we're you'll, you'll understand, uh, super, super excited for him. Uh, and uh, he, he is a great guy. And we're super excited about what God's going to be doing in his life. Uh, I have two boys, uh, and then my next is a, another boy, and then I have two girls. Uh, one's in elementary and one's in middle school, and uh, that's my first uh, place of discipling. And, and I have a wonderful wife, been married to for 24 years. And then I, I, I get the opportunity every day to come to work and work with our staff and our team to really execute the mission and the, and the vision of Crossroads. I deal with uh, staff not getting along. Uh, I, I deal with uh, reviews. I deal with uh, budgets. I deal with uh, uh, you know uh, things that go on with our uh, with our campus, uh, strategic initiatives. Uh, I uh, work alongside uh, sometimes uh, people who aren't always really happy with things that we're doing, and, and like our youth ministry, and they come to me, and they, you know, un, un, unhappy parents. So uh, I deal with all the things that many of you deal with on a day-to-day basis, uh, but, you know, we're still pushing this whole envelope of being uh, a disciple maker. Uh, I've been in full-time ministry 24 years, and, uh, and as I mentioned, over the course of that time, uh, I've come to several conclusions, and one of those is this is that Jesus 
uh, wants the church to be a multiplying movement of disciples. And so I want to be a part of a place that shares that same, same DNA. And then secondly, uh, Jesus is a model for life and ministry. And, uh, and so over those uh, 24 years, been really working at that. My journey started in 2000 when I was in student ministry. I've kind of covered the gamut of different types of areas of ministry. Been a student pastor, teaching pastor. Uh, I've been a campus pastor, done it all. Uh, but uh, in 2000, I was invited to a conference just like this, similar. And uh, I met a man there who challenged me with these two statements. First one was this. He said, what if you could impact the world without ever traveling more than 100 miles from your hometown? Wow, that'd be really cool. He said, you know, Jesus did that. Uh, he said, what if you could take a group of uneducated, ordinary students, this time I was a youth pastor, and help them become an army of world changers in less than four years. Would you do it? And that has really become kind of the mantra of this whole idea of looking at the life of Jesus. We've just looked at Jesus having this whole idea of, of what a disciple looks like, what a target looks like. And so the question you have to ask is, how did Jesus do that? Um, you know, one of the things that we do frequently, we, we, uh, we're, a, we're a big competitive family. Uh, I, I, I'm the chief competitor in the family. I hate to lose. Uh, but uh, when we go on vacation, we go uh, every year Thanksgiving to a cabin that my parents own in uh, northwest Arkansas. And uh, we put together puzzles. Anybody here big puzzle people? And so, uh, you know, my boys weren't always into it in the beginning, so we made it into a competition. Uh, but just think about a puzzle for just a second. Uh, when you put together a puzzle, how do you put together a puzzle? And I'd love just some audience participation. How do you put together a puzzle? Outside. Yeah, you start with the outside, right? Uh, you look and you get all the outside pieces, right? And then after you get all the outside edges, what do you do then? Fill in the gaps. Fill in the gaps. And, and, and you start working that. And over time, what happens when you, when you work that strategy? What happens? You, you get a puzzle, right? Uh, now, just think about this for a minute. What if you didn't have a picture? You know, one of the things that we always forget about is the box. you got to look at the box too, right? you got to see a picture. Sometimes, here's what happens, is that disciple making can feel a lot like putting together a puzzle. If you're not clear on what the picture is, you can have all the pieces, but then do you know how the pieces are all fitting together? And so what we really want to try to do at Impact Ministries is to really help you not only see a picture of what Jesus had in mind of the target, now we want to help you put together a strategy, just like we do when you put together a puzzle. What's the strategy that Jesus used to take that target and to make sure that happened? I unfortunately meet people a lot of times, and I was this same way many, many years ago, that didn't think Jesus had a very intentional strategy. He just kind of showed up, right? And ministry just happened because he happened to be at this place, or he happened to be at this place, or he just went there. And what I found was that Jesus actually had a very clear strategy for making disciples who make disciples. In fact, he never wavered one inch from that strategy. 
Awesome. And, uh, and so what we want to do is just kind of unpack that and then let you kind of see how that fleshes out even at crossroads because what we've really tried to do is to take his strategy and then to begin to implement that strategy uh, right where we are. Now one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he recognized that people were at completely different places in their growth and their development. In your church today, do you have people who are all in the same place in their growth and their development? No. <laughs> well, one of the things that we have at Crossroads, maybe it's the same dynamic that you have where you are, is that we have people in various stages of their growth and their development. And that's one of the genius things about Jesus is that he understood that people were at different places in their growth and their development. And he understood that what he needed to do was to create a strategy uh, that would help move them through this process of going from lost to what? Becoming a believer. And from becoming a believer to then becoming a worker in the harvest. And then from becoming a worker to being a reproducing, multiplying disciple that would do what? Win the lost, build the believer, equip the worker to do what? To go out and to multiply that process over and over and over again. Now, if you look at the New Testament church, what you'll find is that same process existed as well. They were about that same intentional thing. They did what Jesus did. In fact, in John chapter uh, 20, we read this, Jesus, some words that he was sharing with his disciples at the final part of his uh, time with them. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so what? I'm sending you. And so what we want to look at is this whole idea is how do we move people to a place of them being called, sent out to be reproducing, fully trained. What we would say is that no one this side of heaven will ever be fully mature, but they can be what? Fully trained. Right, let, me, let me say that again. Maybe this side of heaven, they may never be fully mature, right? Because we're always in process. We're always growing. We're always becoming more and more like Christ. But we can be fully trained. And so Jesus uh, was going to set out to do that. And how he did that is very, very strategic. Uh, if you have a Bible or your tablet or your device... Open up with me to the Gospel of John. And you can see some of these challenges uh, that Jesus uh, did in order to move his people from untrained to first fully trained. And the first step that Jesus did in this process is found uh, in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to read starting with verse 35. And this is what it, uh, this is... John chapter 1, verse 35. And it says, In the next day, John, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his, what? Disciples. Uh, and it says, And then he looked up, and he saw Jesus and he, uh, as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. In other words, the Messiah, right? Oh, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed who? Follow Jesus, right? 
And it says uh, in verse 38, And Jesus turned to them and saw them following, and he said to them, What do you seek? In other words, what do you want? What, what is it that you want from me? All right, so can you get the image here? Jesus is walking by. He's interacting. Uh, you know, obviously John sees him. John's been talking about the coming of this Messiah, preparing the way. We know that. He points out to these two disciples of his, who we believe to be Andrew and John. And he says to them, behold, there's the Lamb of God. There's a curiosity that is sparked in these two men. They're curious. It's important to think about this. They're curious, and it says, they said, and he says, well, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? In other words, hey, we'd like to spend a little bit of time with you. And watch what, what he says to them. He says, come and what? See. That word come in the Greek actually is, is, a, is a great word, and it's a powerful word. Uh, it means just come and watch. Come, come and hang out with me. Come and, come and see. Come and just spend some time with me relationally. Uh, just coming by. And so he says, come and see. And so they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for uh, most of the day till about the 10th hour. So the first thing we see in this idea of a strategy is this idea of come and what? See. Jesus invited those, these two guys who were curious, who were, who were uh, not yet uh, believers. They were they, what many might call a seeker. And he says to them, come and see. In other words, what we see happening in this circumstance gives us a lot of insight into how Jesus developed relationships with his early disciples. He invites them to come and spend some time with them. Now, we know from the text that Andrew and John were engaged uh, with John the Baptist at some point, and then as he points them out, he says, follow me. Now, I love this because, again, it's, it's an invitation to begin to rub shoulders together, to, to spend some time with those who are far from the Father. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a little weird, and so I, I, I try to put myself in the text a little bit, but I wonder what that conversation might have looked like. Have you ever thought about that? I, 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 I kind of see it from this, maybe this perspective. Again, I don't know this is the truth, but I, I imagine as Jesus, because he's a rabbi, right? He's going to ask a lot of questions. He wants to draw out their curiosity. He wants to see why they're following and so I can imagine they, he might say something like this. Hey, gentlemen, what do you know about the Messiah? What do you know about him? Oh, they might say, well, hey, we know, according to Micah, the book of Micah, that uh, he is from Bethlehem. Ah, oh, really? Uh, can you see where this is going? I, 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 so you know that the, the, the Messiah is from Bethlehem. So, uh, well, you know, actually, did you know that that during the whole census thing, my parents came down and I was actually born in Bethlehem. And then he says, what else do you know about the Messiah? Well, you know, the, the book, one of the other books tells us, uh, the other scriptures tell us that uh, he came up out of Egypt. Well, that, that's kind of weird. How, how could that happen? Hey, can you imagine Jesus saying, well, hey, by the way, you know what, my, my, my parents uh, were warned 
by an angel that, that Herod was trying to attempt to kill all the babies. And so we fled to where? Egypt. Again, I, I don't know that that's exact, but can you see this? And then, then he says, hey, uh, what else do you know about the Messiah? Well, in, in, in the book of Isaiah, it tells us that he came from, from the, uh, Nazareth, the shoot town, right? But he used to come from there, the stump of Jesse. So, oh, hey, by the way, when all of that got finished and Herod died off and the, we were told to go back, we couldn't quite make it back into to Bethlehem, but we went up and we lived back in where? Nazareth. Now, I, again, that's just me adding a little bit of my flavor into all of that, but I can imagine this idea of Jesus as he's drawing them in, as he's working with their curiosity, he's beginning to develop this idea of, hey, I want to invite you to see who I am. Here's what we're learning about people who are far from God. They need to understand who, what, Jesus is. They, they need to have an opportunity to have their questions and doubts answered. They need an opportunity to have conversation and dialogue with that. And one of the things that unfortunately that the church we see happening a lot is that we're really struggling as a church to really harnessing reaching the lost. And that Jesus in making disciples and disciple makers went after who? And we went after the loss, right? He, he, you, to make a disciple, you have to start with what? You start with someone who's, who's, who's far from the Father, right? And so this whole idea, the strategy begins with an invitation of simply come, come and see, reach out. When uh, I was on staff at one of our churches, at my church at First Colleyville, we began to take a deep dive into our, into our, our church. And one of the things that we began to quickly discover was that our conversion growth rate was, was almost non-existent. In fact, you know, uh, Pastor Ken mentioned that most churches across the country right now in the North America are seeing less than, uh, most 50% are reporting that they're not seeing one baptism in a single year. We, we, our conversion growth rate at uh, where we were was, was about 2%. So for every 10 people in our church, Two people were coming to Christ. It was it was really really not not very very uh, ha not a lot of things happening. So we began to think about Lord, if we're really going to be serious about doing this, we got to have a plan to think about how we're going to reach people who are far from God. How can we help engage our people into this process to help them to begin to team up with them so that they can reach lost people? So one of the things that we did. And I don't recommend this because this was a real struggle, but we wiped everything off uh, our Wednesday night programming completely. And I still wear the, the, the stripes on my back from that change, all right? But it was to tell you I'd never go back to doing it any different because what we did was we engaged in a program called Alpha. And we used Alpha as a means to helping engage people who were far from God and to team with our people so that they could have conversations with their friends who were far from God so that we could begin to see God do a new, fresh work of reaching the lost. And over time, what we began to see is that conversion growth rate, and we started using other strategies, big days, and other things to help us reach and have a plan to reach the lost. We began to watch that conversion growth rate go from 2 to 4 to five, to six, to seven, and even eight, 
and 9% over time. Now, what I want to ask you is this. As a church, as church leaders, do you have a plan to reach out? Do you have an intentional strategy uh, as an individual to be a friend of sinners? Six times Jesus is called a friend of sinners. Is there someone in your life personally who is far from the Father who would call you a friend? Not an acquaintance. Not somebody they might know, but a friend. Are there people that you're rubbing shoulders against? Are you calling your church? Are you providing opportunities for those uh, in your congregation to do that? Some of the ways that we do that at Crossroads is uh, we do very intentional outreach-oriented things, not only in our community. We're engaged highly in our community, and then we call our groups, our small groups, to those serve days, but we also... Uh, this last year, and we've done it for several years, a huge egg, Easter egg uh, drop with helicopter, invite our whole entire community. Uh, we use that as a way then to leverage our Easter. Uh, we did it in a different uh, venue than we in our own church and really called our people to be part of the process. Not, hey, you just invite them and come, but we wanted you to be a part of that process. We want you to be a part of helping to reach the community rub up against shoulders that people that you know to help them become uh, begin to think about the idea of who is Jesus and how can I make Jesus a, a reality a real point in my life all right so that's the first part of the strategy the second is what we call plug in and Jesus uh, again you know he's he's moving people through this process he's he's got some great things happening but in uh, in John chapter if you'll just flip down just a few verses after that you'll see in John chapter 1 verse 43 he says this the next day he purposed to go to Galilee and he found who Philip and he said to him what Follow me. So, again, we see this all throughout uh, this stage of this next stage of Jesus' strategy for turning untrained people into fully trained. He reached the lost. He invited them to come and see. Then he plugged them in by calling them to follow him. In other words, what he was saying is, in, the, in this first stage, this come and see was an invitation to, uh, to, to the curious, those who were beginning to see. But now there is this sense that now there's a commitment involved. They've now stepped into what is what we would say is implied into a, a relationship. They've repented and they've believed. They put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. And now... There's a process involved in helping them to become uh, rooted into the work and the person of Jesus. And he used a group to help really do this. One of the things I love is that Jesus in that group didn't just feed them a bunch of content, but he took them places with him. He took them to a wedding party. You remember they took him to the wedding. He he uh, he had he took him to religious services. He they saw family conflict. He took them on short-term pro- projects. But Jesus was really helping to establish them their identity and who he was. Now that word "follow me." Does anybody know what that word "follow me" really means? 
It's interesting. You know, walk in my steps. Conduct your life after me. And so, uh, what Jesus was essentially saying is, "Hey, I'm gonna walk you. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you watch what what I do. Right? I want you to follow uh, and see what I do." Um, I grew up in Southern California. Anybody from Southern California? Uh, one of my favorite times was to go out to the beach with my family. And as a small kid, I can remember my dad walking along the shoreline as the water would wash and he'd step like this. And I would, as a little kid, I can remember trying to step in each one of his footsteps. Right? And it's the same picture, the same idea that, that we're called to what? Surrender ourselves to the leadership of Christ and walk as what? He walked. One of my life verses. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. And so, uh, again, he was, he was teaching them. He was calling them. And throughout his journey with them, he was calling them to, always calling them back to do what? Follow me. Follow me. Do as I do, and, and then you do that, what you watched me do. And so, one of the things we talk about a lot in our church is, hey, how do we help people do that? We, we think we, you do that best in a small group environment uh, where they can begin to be introduced to those ideas, those principles of being rooted in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. How many of you are aware of what happened with Weight Watchers? Weight Watchers started a long time ago. You know that she was actually the, the, uh, the founder of Weight Watchers uh, started with six people. And now today, some 30 years later, they have over a, over a million people involved in over 24 countries. And, 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 and they have over 250,000 meetings. That, that, this idea of watch what I do, do what I do. And so now this idea is, hey, we want to take, we want to reach them. We want to plug them in. Now, are they a fully trained disciple yet? No. No, they're still, they're still moving through process. And so now Jesus is going to take them to the third step of the strategy, which is build up. Build up. If you have a Bible... Turn again, turn over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Because he's gonna make a he's gonna make a, a, a statement here that I think it's important for us to see. John chapter 8, he says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in them, if you continue in my word, then you truly are my disciples. In other words, if you obey, right? We're to teach them to obey. Flip over to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. I love this because in order to teach disciples how to obey, Jesus recognized that in the third part of his strategy, he had to do something here. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. I'm going to start with verse 18. And this is what it says. It says, uh, And now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will do what? Thank you, fishers of men. Can I, can I just have your quick attention here? Many times when we read this text, we think this is the very first time Jesus ever encountered Simon and Andrew and Peter and James. In fact, we might even teach that that's the case. 
But remember, where did Jesus first encounter Andrew and John? John chapter 1. What did Jesus say to Andrew and John? Come and see. Come and see. In fact, Andrew was so excited after that, after that exchange and that conversation. What did Andrew go and do? What did he say to those guys? Come and what? Come and see. What did the Samaritan woman say to everybody when she went back into town after she had had an encounter with Jesus? Come and see this guy. And, and, and then he, he calls them to follow him and, and he brings them through a process of learning to walk as he walked, to do as he did, to love as he loved, to serve as he served, to, to, to really begin to, begin to understand what it would mean to be rooted into his identity and character. And then he's now going to step them into this third strategy by building them up, by building them up to do what? to become fishers of men. Now he's asking for more commitment. Now he's asking more from them. Now he's asking more of their time. Now he's asking more of their priorities. And it's this challenge that Jesus is going to call them to obey and he's going to equip them with the skills necessary to do what? To fish for men. How many of in our churches tell our people, hey, go out and reach the lost? Go out and pray. Go, out, do, go all these things. But do we ever show them what? How to do it. Jesus wasn't a master at this. Because not only does he say, hey, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. But what does he do? He begins to take them on what I like to call fishing trips. To show them how to do what? Fish for men. To train them on how to do that. Uh, I went to Bible college. And uh, I had a professor by the name of, well, it's actually a small liberal arts school. I was kind of forced to go there. My parents thought I needed uh, some heavy correction in my life. And so I ended up there because my dad said, the only way I'm paying for your school is you go to a liberal arts school. So I show up and I have to take a Bible class. And I sit at the very back of the class because I'm not really wanting to be there with my arms folded just like this. And, uh, and so as I enter that class, the guy standing at the front is Dr. Rainey. Dr. Rainey was uh, kind of a, an older gentleman, very frail. But man, first couple weeks I picked up, there's something uniquely different about Dr. Rainey. He would talk about Jesus and I'd be like, wow, I don't know that. And what I found is I kept moving closer and closer to the front. And I never sat in the front, okay? So I'm sitting up here in the front, and I swear there were times when he would pray. I thought if I opened my eyes that the living Lord would be standing right beside me. I mean, it was just powerful. And so one day I went to him and said, I got the courage. I said, Dr. Rainey, how is it that you, how do you walk with God? Like, how, what is so different about you? So he, no lie, sits me down, and he gives me three sheets of everything he did as, as, as a disciple. I mean, he loved Jesus. So I guess what, as a college student, I was like, okay, I'm going to go try this. And so I went to my dorm room, and the first thing on the list was I get up every morning at 4.30. <laughs> so I, I got done playing dominoes at 2.30 in the morning, right? <laughs> and you can see where that was going. And within like a week, I got delusioned, I got, you know, disillusioned, and, and I felt like a failure. And I'm like, I, I don't know how to do this. I, I can't make it work. Let me fast forward you to five years later. Show up at my very first church. My very first church as a student pastor. Guy in the hallway, his name's Jerry Fine. 
an older gentleman. At the time he was uh, in his early 70s. Well, actually late, late 60s. He says, uh, hey Glenn, tell me what God's been speaking to you about lately. I said, oh, you mean what I'm about to tell my teenagers when I'm getting ready to go to this Bible study? He goes, no, 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 what, what's God saying to you lately? I was like, well, I, so in my mind I'm thinking, oh man, I'm busted. So I made something up. I said, I don't know, patience, you know how that is. And so I was made something up and he goes, okay. And he could tell I was probably faking. And so every time I would see him, he'd take me by the shoulder and say, Glenn, tell me what God said to you lately. And I'd be like, oh. and so I started to avoid him like the plague. And I would know which way he was coming. I would try to go the other way. Finally, he tracks me down one Sunday and he says, you've been avoiding me, haven't you? <laughs> I said, man, unfortunately I have. And this is what he said to me. He said, next Friday morning, let me point a little finger. It was actually, he uh, had had some cancer and he got it cut off. And I can remember the bony little finger pointing right in my face. said, Nick, Friday morning, you better show up at my house at 6 o'clock. Don't be a minute late. I said, yes, sir. He was a layman in our church. I said, yes, sir. Showed up. And for the next 18 months, he began to invest his life into me. You know what he did? He taught me how to walk with God. He didn't just tell me how to do that. I mean, he didn't just tell me to do that. He showed me how to do it. He taught me how to have a pathway to knowing Jesus more intimately, personally, and deeply. Then he would take me out, and we would go out, and we would share the gospel with people. And, and, and he would have, he'd say, who, who's on, who, who do you know that's far from God, Glenn? Your neighbor? Let's take him out to lunch. I'll buy. You invite him. We'll share the gospel. And so we'd get out there and he'd say, he'd start talking to him and he'd go, okay, Glenn, now it's your turn. Ugh! You know, and then we'd deeper, I mean, but he would teach me how to share my faith. He would take me overseas. He took me on trips and he taught me to see God's perspective in life. He took me, he took me to hospital visits and he taught me, you know, how to, how to, how to just meet with people and care for needs. It's a layman in our church, Okay. This guy radically impacted my life. But then he taught me how to invest in a few. At this level, right? I mean, he was teaching. You see, he was, he was building me up. He was training me how to be a worker in the harvest. And how I could then begin to do the very same thing that Jesus did. And the difference between Dr. Rainey and, and, and Jerry Fine, I, I believe both of them, Dr. Rainey was a man of God. But the difference between the two is one told me how to do it and another man showed me, one told me how, told me to do it and another one showed me how to do it. My question is, is what's your plan in your church to help build up, to build up people so that they can be reproducers, that they can be fully trained disciples who will go out and move people through that process. Most churches... Now here, please hear me, and I don't, I'm not casting stones because we're still working through this on our own. This is where most churches fail miserably because we have no process in place. We th what happens is people think, hey, if I'm going to move to a deeper level of growth and development, what does that mean when they hear the word deeper? Deeper Bible study, verse by verse. I'm, and I'm not knocking any of that, please. Don't hear me on that. But what we talk about when we say moving deeper is we want to move deeper into the character and the conduct of Jesus. So 
What's your plan to help move people uh, from, from reach out to plug in to build up? And this last stage, this last stage is what we call, uh, is what we call uh, sending out. Sending out. And I love this because this last challenge is found again back in John chapter 20 verse 1 where he says, My peace is with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He was calling out his disciples to do what? To reproduce what he had shown them and walked them through and showed them how to do it. They, they had no question of what to do because Jesus was, was really working these relationships. And here's what we're finding is that this, and this is what, you know, in this, what we would call becoming a disciple-making leader is that Jesus made disciples and what did he do? He appointed leaders. And so we want to appoint these disciple-making leaders to do what? Commission them to go out and to... Take those who are untrained and help them to reach out, to plug in, to build up and send out so the process can be what? Reproduced and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied over and over again. Let me, let me just say this. My, uh, my grandfather was an amazing man. Uh, I, I have a very, um, a, just a really cool story. Uh, my I'm a fifth generation. I tried to only I tried to cut that off at the fourth, but I'm the fifth generation <laughs> to be in ministry. wasn't what I intended to do, but God had much better plans. My great great grandfather was a circuit riding preacher in Missouri. Went from church to church, little little country churches. My great great grandfather was a uh, was a pastor of a, of a church. My great grandfather was another pastor. Uh, my grandfather was a missionary in the Philippines for uh, 40 years. And back when they went to the Philippines, it was like pioneering. I mean, it was like they had to take a boat to get there. And they spent 40 years uh, in that area. Um, so uh, I got word that my, so my grandfather was, towards the end of his life, was very sick. And I got word that he was about to pass. And so I went up to the hospital to see him. And for those of you who've been with people who are dying, you, you know last words are really important, don't you? And I remember him, you know, literally grabbing me by my shirt and pulling me down towards him because he could barely talk. And I remember him whispering a blessing into my ear. That blessing is something I hold on to with, with great resolve. I, I think about Jesus' last words with his disciples. Because in his last words to his disciples, this is what he said in Matthew chapter 28, 18, 19, and 20. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth, gentlemen, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to what? Obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now here's the deal. In that those very last words of Jesus, He reminded them 
of what their strategy was. He said, you're, you, by my authority, the only thing you're authorized to do is to make, author, is to make disciples by, he said, go, baptize, teach. And you say, oh, we got you, Pastor Glenn. Uh, there's nothing on the send out. When it says make disciples, it's implied that it's a multiplication of making disciples who make disciples. So go, win, build, equip, send out so that the process will be reproduced over and over and over and over again. So did Jesus have a strategy? Absolutely. He said, come and see, follow me, remain in me. In other words, we, we can't, you know, and we got to, that whole idea, we, if we're going to help people remain in him, uh, you got to be a, abiding in the vine and then send them out to go and bear what? Fruit. Do you know that the word, most times when you see the word fruit in the scriptures, it's an indication of multiplication. And, 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 and Jesus' desire is that we would multiply. And, and, and his preferred picture of the preferred destination is a what? A fully trained disciple. So we've talked about a target, an M7 disciple, one that is a fully trained disciple. We've shared with you a strategy, not our strategy, but whose strategy? Jesus' strategy. And, and he just simply did it by reaching out, plugging in, building up, and what? Yeah. So I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick. Say, how do we turn a person from untrained to fully trained? Say, everybody say, reach out. Reach out. Plug in. Build up. Okay, now turn around to your neighbor and tell you that to him. So let me, let me say this. In a room of, I don't know, maybe 30, some sitting on the floor, which awesome. Uh, some sitting in smaller chairs. Oh, 60. What if the 60 of us in this room committed to following the strategy of Jesus? Made a lifelong commitment to, to saying, you know what? We, we, we want to see... Jesus' church, the way he intended it for it to be, a movement of multiplying disciples. And we are committed to doing everything we possibly can, to looking at how we can reach out, plug in, build up, send out. And here's what I'm going to share with you. Tomorrow, we're going to show you some environments that we think that you can begin to begin to implement as a part of that strategy to help you see M7 disciples reproduced in, in a multiplying way. All right? So, any, uh, any questions that I can help answer? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yep. So, so in, at, at Crossroads, we use a tool called 315 in this build-up phase. And, uh, and so as we are watching, as we're, so in the plug-in stage, we're helping them uh, to live out a lifestyle of being an M7 disciple. As we begin to see some of these people beginning to what we call pop, 
beginning to live that out as a lifestyle and they begin to have some of it more and more availability and faithfulness and, and responsibility and teachability, we, we invite them into a, a process called 315, uh, which is, uh, let me, I think we've got a picture on here. There's our egg drop. But we, uh, we do a thing called 315. And uh, it is right here. And we meet monthly with these uh, new potential, uh, these new potential uh, disciple-making leaders. Okay. And we help them uh, in three areas. We help them to have a heart for God. We, re we go back through that. We want to help them have the right knowledge and lead with the right understanding. And we unpack all of that. Uh, which is what Pastor Ken is going to do in the, in, uh, the third, fourth session. He's going to share with you all the, the things and the ins and the outs of how this applies practically in that, in that, uh, that build-up stage. All right? Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question. And then the send-out is we release them to do what? To go and to do... Um, those and sometimes that may be sent, they send out and they move into an to an elders role. They might move into church planting role. They might even move on to our staff. Some of them stay and they stay in their their ministry marketplace and just make disciples right there in their communities or in their in um, in their marketplace. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple-makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple-making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple-maker.